Well, good morning out there in Facebook land. This has been an interesting six weeks. Uh, we're just coming upon six weeks, and I'm still trying to get used to talking into a camera. Isn't that interesting? I love having people in front of me. So continue to, you know, share, uh, make comments, because we need to know you're out there. I need to know, even though I'm not able to see that right now. And uh, we've been going through an interesting change of life. It's been challenging, but yet rewarding to know that we can still hang on. You know, I never thought that COVID-19 would have a similarity to uh, a freshman in college. You know what they say about the, be careful of the freshman 15, but I think something's going on with the COVID-19 because there are curves that we have to flatten, and I'm working on this curve right now. So what we have to do is we have to understand that sometimes it's easy that we could just wave a magic wand and hope this thing would just all go away. When nothing goes away, I, I would love to have a magic wand and just go, go away, go away. But it doesn't. It doesn't work that way. Uh, we got to work really hard. We got to work through this process. We got to know that it's not an event, but a process. So as we work through this together, we know that changes are going to occur. That's why we've entitled Detours as our sermon series, because we're in a detour right now. We've been challenged for weeks. We've been challenged with understanding what does that really mean. Um, and so I want to encourage you as you're working through that, as you're trying to understand what that means, know that when we're driving down a road and we're on a highway, or we're just even on a regular routine road that we drive every day, we don't like that word detour because that would slow us down. And we sure enough don't like it when we're in a hurry and we need to get to our next meeting, or we need to get to the next soccer game, or we need to get to the next baseball game. It's really challenging to be able to move forward knowing that there's a sign that's going to control and there's an event in front of us that's stopping us from getting to that destination. And as we talked about for weeks, we were in the book of Ruth and returning back to the book of Ruth. We understand that there were changes and detours in the life of Ruth and Naomi, and finding this man by the name of Boaz. And as we talked about last week with the, the Easter celebration, the resurrection celebration about one way, we're talking about another detour sign this week. But it's not the one that you may find when you're driving on a highway, and you may see that when you're knowing there's an accident ahead and you have to switch over to another lane. You go from three or four lanes down to one lane. And then you know that there's going to be congestion and traffic. But when you change lanes, it's not just on the regular road that you're on. I'm going to talk about changing lanes where you have to change the lane in order to get off the highway to go into a different direction on a whole new road. That means that changing lanes is what I'm going to talk about is not just the same road. That's what's been happening with us. God seems to be changing lanes on us every day, every hour through this COVID. So I just want to encourage you, hang it in there, knowing you might still set, sense some fear, some uncertainty, maybe helplessness, hopelessness. You might even be so depressed that you're saying, what's the point of living? Hang on. God has a plan in your life. He's never going to leave you nor forsake you. And so as we look at the Old Testament, we look at the life of Ruth, we look at the book, we understand that God continue his loyal covenant to his people. Now, let me just share some things with you in reference to another type of detour that we may go through in our minds. Whenever we go through challenges and difficulties and trials, sometimes it's psychological because we're made as a whole person. We're made up of physical, spiritual, emotional, and mental, and now even social. 
And I just, I looked up an article in light of all of this that we're going through. An article from Fast Company had an interesting insight on it. I just want to share that with you. It says that when we're going through some of these trials, the brain is challenged. And when the brain is challenged, we can't function to the level that we want to. And so when the brain is challenged, they offered a couple of things that could help us through this to understand a little bit better why we're challenged through this uncertainty. One is this, the brain needs social interaction and connection. You might think, wow, yes, it does. And likens to like whenever we have discomfort from not having social connection with people, although I'm grateful for all these social medias that we can have some video chats, video meetings, we can at least see each other. It's difficult when we can't do what we would call the old normal, spend time, hang out, hug people, let them know we care about them, because we miss you guys out there. We're longing for you to come back. Um, We're longing to connect with you. The brain goes through a discomfort and a pain similarly to when we have physical pain. So if you're struggling mentally, you're struggling maybe even physically, you're trying to work out, do some push-ups, walking, whatever the case may be. There's a pain that's associated in our brain that's similar to the physical. And so we need to be reminded that it's important for us to gather together in some capacity during this time. It defaults to that. So take the time to reach out to each other, lean on each other, because you're struggling and it's okay. In fact, there's a place where it says that there's a sense of uncertainty to where we struggle with that. Here's another thing. Our brain craves information. So what that means is that there was a study where people would actually struggle with receiving a shock. They did this research in this study, and they found that the person who was ready to receive the shock but didn't know whether if it was mild or intense had more fear than the person who was going to receive the shock, receive the information that it's going to be intense. Watch out. It's going to be intense. They, the one who didn't know was, was, was increased fear was starting to just work inside of them. The brain started to work in such a level to where they didn't know what to do. The brain was just going crazy. And what they found is that at that point, they needed to know, they needed to be informed. So when we're going through this process, we're being informed of our president, we're being informed by our governors that we are talking about re-entry. Hold on. Don't think it's going to happen tomorrow because you need to always look to be informed. You're always looking for information. I want to encourage you, as you're looking for information, it's okay. Just be careful that as you're looking for information, you're not going to be consumed with information. Because then your brain can go in overload. Just be informed because you need to be settled. And I get that. But I think what's important for us is that the information we really want to focus on and what the researchers even said is prioritize yourself right now. Stay focused on those things that are important and move forward. Meaning prioritize yourselves to think what is the most important thing that I need to do in my life and then go with it. As Christians, we know what's most important. We know what's most important. And as we're changing lanes, it's important for us to keep that we have to focus on Jesus, on the cross, on the word of God. On what God is doing that even in the difficult times, God can still use it out and work it out for his good. So he's going to use it. He's going to use this time. We're going to get out of this. And when we do, God's going to use it for his honor and his glory. But you've got to hang in there. You've got to know that God's changing the lanes 
But he's not doing it because he's abandoned us. He's not doing it because he's causing judgment on us. He's not doing it because he wants to punish us. He's doing it because he wants to encourage us and build us up, to sustain us and establish us, to help us to lean on him some more. Because when detours happen, God uses it to get us back on track. Sometimes we're going down that detour and we want to fix it, want to get off that road again. And God's saying, hang on, I want to get your attention about something. I want you to learn to lean on me. I want you to learn to look to me and prioritize your heart toward me. That's what we need to do. In fact, I wrote this statement here. It says, as we change lanes, we change our direction, but we must not change our focus. That's important because in light of all of this, nothing changes. Nothing should change. We should stay focused on God. And so when we look at the book of Ruth, we understand that when we kind of recant and look back and just, just review for a minute, we see Naomi lost her husband, lost her two sons. We see Ruth as one of the daughter-in-laws. One of the daughter-in-laws goes back to Moab. Ruth remains with Naomi. In fact, she commits herself totally to the point of death, saying, I will come with you and be with you. For your God is my God, your people is my people. And Ruth makes a commitment, an oath, saying, I will stick with you until the end. What a commitment to leave her family, to leave Moab, to leave everything she knows to follow her mother-in-law. And her mother-in-law said, no, you need to go. Here was a young woman who could remarry, have her children, go on with her life, start anew, go back home, be with her mom and her family. But she decided, hey, you know what? I'm going to go with Naomi. And she goes to a foreign land, for her, a foreign land, goes back to Judah, but not to Naomi. And Naomi returns bittered, grieving, struggling. But God uses Ruth to get Naomi back to a place where she can trust God. So in chapter 2, we saw that she went out into the fields. And as she went out to the fields to reap so that she could get the food necessary for them to both live as they settle down, here she finds a man by the name of Boaz. And Boaz shows kindness and grace and mercy to Ruth, not only because she would get to the corners of the reaping of the threshing floor to get just the, the residue, the leftovers, Boaz invites her to come to work with his servants, even to sit at, her ta at his table, and he serves her. What grace, what mercy. How could we ever think about that with our relationship with God? God who's received us, foreigners, aliens, enemies of God. People who do not seek and chase after God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. And yet God in his mercy and his grace, his hesed love, loving kindness, slow to anger, quick to loving kindness, compassionate to reach out to those. I mean, Ruth was a foreigner and Boaz received her. But more or less, we can even say God has received her. How much more when God continues to receive us in his son. Because sometimes we can be entitled thinking that we deserve more grace. And God's saying, no, um, my grace is upon you. My grace is sufficient for you. Uh, you need grace even in the mix of sanctification. So Ruth sits in this storyline, in this narrative, because that's what this story is, this book. It's a narrative. And Ruth is sitting here, and now she's at the end of chapter 2. And as she's in end of chapter 2, we see now that the story continues. And as we look on chapter 2, verse 23, there is a period of time 
with the barley harvest and the wheat harvest that you have the barley harvest around March or April and then the wheat harvest, which is around June or July, there's a period of that scholars believe that is around eight weeks between chapter two, the end of chapter two, into chapter three. So when we're thinking about Ruth and we're thinking about how important this is to consider, we have to look at this as a whole and realize that how important it is for us to move in this narrative to gather this, because now there's a change of direction. Boaz is supplying their need, taking care of them, making sure that they have the wheat and the barley to live on, to be able to serve themselves. But then Naomi recognizes at the end of chapter two that he's one of the Kingsman redeemers, their guardian, a relative, who can help both Naomi and especially Ruth to continue on with the name that is in her family line. But what we know in the backdrop is that this lineage is going to follow up with the lineage of David in the future and the line of Messiah, Jesus Christ. So as we're looking at all of this, God is orchestrating these things. They're changes. And here's a big change because now Naomi is saying, wait a minute, no longer are we just trying to meet our immediate need. We have to look to the future. And so as we think about that, changing direction, changing lanes means that we need to know what does that look like moving forward? And so I want to just offer you a few things that we see in this storyline. As we see that change of direction, we need to understand what's going on in this story. First thing is this. There's preparation going on. Because as you're going down the road and there's a detour, and you know you have to get off the exit, change the lanes, and get, get to a new road, a new highway, and you don't know where you're going, you have your GPS, but you're not sure, and you want to make sure you're on the same road, here's what you need to do. You need to pull over. You need to find some kind of store. I don't know if it's, you know, if it's a Wawa or down here, if it's another type of store, or just pull over and just saying, we need to assess, to evaluate, to know where we're going. And I think that's what Naomi's doing right now in chapter 3, verse 1. As she's pulling over and she's talking with Naomi, there's a preparation time. Because now Naomi is saying, wait a minute, this, this gentleman by the name of Boaz is a relative, and we need to look to your future. Look with me to chapter 3, verse 1. It says this, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Now, see, it was important at that time, it was common that someone would arrange a marriage in this type of setting here in the Old Testament. So Naomi was doing what a mother-in-law would do, and that is to help her get set up for the future. So she's trying to tell her how to go about doing this because she wanted her to seek rest, to seek the importance of rest. And so what, what, we, what he was doing is she was setting up a plan. And she goes on in verse 2, says, Is not Boaz our relative with who, whose young women you were, the, the servants? See, this is his widowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. So we have to understand that the widowing is separating the grain from the chaff. They cut down the chaff, they separate them. So that's the widowing process. But then also they had the threshing floor, which was usually up on a hill where it was on, away from the dirt, something like on a stone pavement. And when they were working, they would usually work in the evenings because during the day, the winds were strong. So at night, it was, they, the winds seemed to settle down some. And it would help to be able to separate the chaff from the grain and the kernel so that when they fell on the pavement, they were able to collect it and sweep it up together. 
So men would go there, especially those who own their properties, to be able to go there, to have their servants, to work it out, to be able to get all the grain they need for their investment. And then what they would do is they would sleep overnight as well to protect their investment. And as we look at what Naomi, Naomi knows this, and she's trying to encourage Ruth to go to this place. So she goes, you know what? You need to go check him out. You need to find Boaz, and you need to prepare yourself. You need to wash yourself. Because back then when people would wash, they would clean themselves for ceremonial washings, for a special event, and in most cases even for a marriage. So it wasn't like they would just jump in the shower, get all rinsed off, have all of their cleansers and their soaps and their perfumes and everything. It wasn't like it was a common thing. More than it was just they had to really make sure that she cleaned herself well because she was going to present herself to Boaz. So she tells her, Naomi tells Ruth, wash therefore and anoint yourself with perfume to smell, you know, with a, an attractive smell, kind of like, you know, in a nice way, trying to gather in the man to say, hey, recognize me. But you got to understand something. Boaz is an older man, and she is a younger woman. Boaz is not thinking about hitting on a younger woman, although he cares for her. It's shown in chapter 2. He has love for her and in, in, in the, in the love of God. But here, what was recognized is Naomi says, here is your security. Here is your redeemer. Here's the one who can take over the property, continue on the lineage, and be able to help you start a new family. And now, for Ruth, she's a young woman. Wouldn't she be more attracted to a younger man? And Boaz doesn't even think he has a chance. He's not thinking that he does. So Naomi's kind of setting it up like Cupid here. She's trying to work it all out. And now in that, she goes on to say this that there's clothing going on too. She's going to clothe herself. Now, she's not rich. She's poor. So she has to find something because in the Hebrew, it would even be like a blanket that she would put on. But they tried to find something, some garments that she would be able to place on her that would be, again, most attractive. And so she puts on a cloak and she goes down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. This is strange because all they have to do is, Naomi goes over and say, hi, this is Ruth. Ruth, you know Boaz. Hey, you're a redeemer. Can we work this out? No, because he's older. She's younger. He doesn't even think he has a chance. She's trying to say, listen, you do have a chance. I care about you. I want us to move forward. But here's another thing underlying. Ruth is willing to give up everything to take care of Naomi. Let's not forget that. Let's not forget the commitment she has made. Let's not forget that she has prepared herself with a purpose to say, I'm going to move forward. And so in verse 4, she goes on to this. When he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. Very important in this verse. Because in other verses in the Old Testament, when you use the word lie down, it would be a euphemism for sexual encounters. And even feet would be a euphemism for that as well. But as we look at this in the Hebrew, the use of the word and where she's using there is not so much a sexual content or contact but, or encounter, but it's more or less she's trying to draw her in, draw her into saying, these are actually the feet. You need to place yourself down by the feet of Boaz. And so we see that the narrative continues. So she's prepared herself. She's washed herself. She's anointed herself. She's put on some clothing. She goes down to the threshing floor. She's told that she has to go and lie next to his feet, his actual feet. It's not a euphemism for sexual content. And then what happens is they move on to the next thing. You go from preparation to now priorities. What's her priority? Remember, 
Priority is pretty simple. When you go and you settle down, you pull over, you know you have to, before you move over, now you have to say, okay, plan our next move and follow it. So what's the next move? Well, it's real simple here. In verse 5, we see this. The planning the next move is this. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. So what's the priority? Priority is obedience. Priority is focusing on she trusts Naomi. She's trust her God now. God is Yahweh. She's following. Now she even goes so far as to trust Boaz. Because this was a little risque. It was risque for Naomi to tell a young woman, a widow, to go and lay next to a man at his feet. I don't know about you, but if I heard of that, the first thing going to my mind is, what is going on here? Is there some sexual encounter that's going to happen? But Naomi takes a risk because she knows there's something far better. And we'll know that the statement she made in the previous verse where Boaz will tell you what to do, it means that Naomi trusts Boaz. But ultimately, God is the one orchestrating the plan. And so God is allowing for all of this to happen. So she sets her priorities real simple. She goes, your God is my God. Your people are my people. I'm following you until death. I will take care of you. So she's doing this to take care of Naomi more than she's doing it for herself. So important to see that in the scripture. See, when, just like when I look at Proverbs 16, 9, it came to mind. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. So she and Naomi, Naomi especially has this plan, risque, but God is directing the steps. And so when we understand this, as we see change of direction, we think sometimes God is out to abandon us, that he's not there, that he doesn't really care, that he's out to discipline us, that he's out to punish us. But in this change of direction, God is actually directing it. <laughs> he's not abandoning or avoiding us. He's actually in front of us. Don't let the situation today in the midst of COVID define who you are. Make sure you understand that when you're going through a change of direction, which we all are, we have to let God define who we are. And when he defines us, then we can work through it in a process. Believe me, there are days where, I, you know, I got to be honest, I'm struggling. Days where it's, I just psychologically, with, with just wanting to give up, saying, I've had enough of this. I'm so tired. The other day, I just, I hit a point where I was mentally exhausted. And I just said, I've hit that point. But you know what? I have to be reminded that the Lord is with me, that he cares for me, that he can give me the strength to get through this day. I don't think about tomorrow. I think about the day that he's given me. And I want to encourage you to think about the day that he's given you because this was a day that yet is to come. It's a process for even Ruth and Naomi and Boaz. So as we're going through direction and change, we, she's being prepared. She has her priorities set. And then we see this, the proper posture. You might think, okay, Brenda, what does that all ultimately mean? Meaning, sometimes we have to understand and position ourselves as a co-pilot. We're not the pilot. <laughs> you know, sometimes you've seen that sticker years ago, uh, my co-pilot is God. That's preposterous. Let me use another P. Because it's crazy. I think of the, the thing that I'm, God's my co-pilot. No, I'm not even really a co-pilot. God's my pilot, and I just come along and ask him to lead me. Because I don't know the direction which go. I am not exhaustive in my foreknowledge. I don't know what's ahead of us. I only know what the scripture tells me. And I know that I can hold on to the scripture to know that God is merciful, gracious, compassionate, loving. And I can see what he's done in the past is how he's going to continue. Because he's immutable. He's never changing his direction. He never changes who he is. 
He's always a constant. I'm the one who's always thinking about changing direction. But when God changes our direction, when it comes to changing our ways, he never changes. I struggle because I'm always doing that. Maybe you're just struggling. With Ruth, she found out what to do. Look at with me with chapter 3, verses 6 through 9. It says, so when he went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law commanded her. And understand, even in the Hebrew, in the writing of the narrative, it takes a tense change from perfect to imperfect, meaning the narrative's moving. It's moving forward. And as the move, moving of forward, she, it's reminded again that the writer is saying she did everything her mother-in-law commanded her to do. Priority set. And then verse 7, it says, when Boaz had eaten and drunk, his heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Smart man. Because I'll tell you, every man that eats and drinks well and fills the belly, the first thing they do is go to the nothing box and hit the recliner chair. And this man did the right thing. He hit that grain. And he said, I'm laying out. I'm tired because he ate well. And he laid it out. And the woman, woman was there, but she knew when to go because she was told to go when he was about to fall asleep, which is usually us. When I eat a good meal, I like to take a nap. It doesn't often happen, but I like to take a nap. And, uh, and he was taking that nap. And then it says, then she came softly, where it is meaning secretly. Let's just look at that word a second. Why did she have to do that? How come it couldn't have just been all worked out? How come it could just be Naomi working out the tradition and knowing the expectation? I think God was trying to create a relationship here. I think God was trying to show the appreciation and the love and concern that Boaz had for Ruth and Ruth could have for Boaz. Why? Because the years of difference would probably not bring a quick attraction. She would feel like, he would feel like he's marrying his daughter and he would feel like, she would feel like he's, she's going to marry her father. But when God creates this relationship, starts to show that Ruth is a woman of God who loves God, who loves to take care of her mother-in-law, committed with her priority to obey God and to obey her mother-in-law and even trust Boaz in all of this, she goes softly, she's obedient, and uncovers his feet to lay down. And then it goes on to say, at midnight, the man was startled and turned over and behold, a woman laid at his feet and he said, who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Now understand this word servant, because in the Hebrew, chapter 2, the word used servant is different from this one. The word in chapter 2 was a woman who would work in a household, kind of be a servant to the woman in the household, kind of helping other servants. In this case, this word actually means concubine, someone who would even have a relationship with the owner or the king, someone who would have a marriage relationship. So here, she's offering a marriage proposal with that word. I know that seemed crazy to think, wow, you're a servant. But she's saying, spread your wings over your servant, meaning a cloak over your servant. It was representation of, I want you to marry me. I'm asking you to marry me. I'm asking you to be our redeemer. I'm asking you to head forth and take care of us and protect us. I mean, we see this even in Ezekiel 16.8 when the Lord spoke to Israel. It says this, when I passed by you again and saw you, behold, you were at the age for love. And I spread the corner of my garment over you. He's talking of Israel and covered your nakedness. 
meaning the Passover, the covering of his people. I made my vow to you and entered into a covenant with you, declares the Lord, and you became mine. Wow. The unconditional love of God, Abrahamic covenant, which is still offered to us through his son. Isn't it great to know that in the midst of change, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how trying it is, no matter how much we just feel like giving up, God is saying, I'm still committed to you. I still love you. I have a covenant with you. Isn't it great to know that if you feel despaired and depressed and even to the point of suicide, God is reaching out to you and saying, I love you. I made a commitment to you. I can take care of this for you. I'm your protector. I'm the one who can cover this. You know, I just want to say in other words, he's, as we move forward, God is our pilot and our protector. He's the one who's our refuge and our strength. I know, I, I know what you're going through. Psychologically, I want to give up sometimes. I said, I'm tired. I'm tired of the news. I'm tired of, in fact, I'm concerned that if people hear about re-entry, they're going to think it's happening tomorrow, but there's still a process for re-entry. So we need to endure, be patient, persevere, because even with this whole storyline, it hasn't even been solved yet. There's no settling story here. Because even so, we have to learn that he's our pilot and our protector. Look with Ruth, Ruth and Boaz. Boaz said this. And Boaz says, you know what? May you be blessed by the Lord. Meaning, may you have hesed love. May you have this compassionate, merciful, gracious love. May God just truly bless you, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. And that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. But here's the thing. What was the pr previous one? That she was willing to give everything up to follow her mother-in-law to take care of her. The second one is now she's willing to give up a future with a younger man, with younger kids, to have this future which every woman in the world dreams about. And she's willing to give all of that up so that she could ultimately be with the Redeemer. So she could take care of Naomi. She could take care of Naomi and be able to move forward. She was willing to give up of herself to be a servant, to die to self. And to say, God, we want your best. And even verse 11, it says, Now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Why? Because she was, the talk of the town was this. She was willing to do this. She did it for Naomi. And here he's saying, do not fear. Similar to what God says, do not fear, do not be afraid. That's covenant language. I am with you. So he goes, don't worry, I'm with you. In fact, he goes so far to say this, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. I mean, there's someone else before me, but remain tonight. And in the morning, if he will remain, he will redeem you, good. Let, it do, let him do it. But if he's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. The beauty that he said, I'm even willing, if I don't have to marry, that's fine. I just want to make sure you're taken care of. What grace and love. But he says remain there. Why? Because he didn't want anyone else to think that she was coming down to the threshing floor for some sexual encounter. See, that was the problem there. Prostitutes would come. Men would lay out. And they would give him services. But Ruth didn't do that. Ruth came as a marriage proposal. She came to bring forth the saying, I want to carry out the name of the Redeemer. She was a worthy woman. She was willing, and even he said, don't let any woman talk of this. No, let any woman. So no matter what, how many times we change lanes in our lives, God promises to move us forward in his will. 
Look what happens at the end. I just want to read with you at the end. So she laid at his feet until the morning. Verse 14. But arose before one could recognize another. And he said, let it not be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it. And he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. And then she went into the city. This was probably around 50 or 60 pounds. And verse 16, when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, these six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Again, the love, the grace, the mercy. And then it goes on. This is the key right here with the will. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out. Meaning it's not going to happen tomorrow. We still have to wait. There's still a process here. We're not sure if Boaz is the man. We're not confirmed of it yet. There's a redeemer even closer. But don't give up. Hang in there. Rest knowing that no matter, here's another change. God is going to work this out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Meaning Boaz wants to take care of her. Boaz wants to be there for her. In the midst of her change, in the midst of her losing her husband, in the midst of giving up everything she wanted as a young woman, in the midst of giving up a family, he was willing to say, I'll take care of you. How much of us with God, when God's changing our lives and we have to give up certain things, you know, it's tough and it's difficult and we have to endure and we have to hunker in and be able to move forward. It's hard because we give up our pleasures. We give up all the different things we want to do instead of following him. God's saying, Follow me. I'll take care of you. In the midst of all this change, I'm not leaving you. I'm not forsaking you. I'm not abandoning you. I am with you. I want to encourage you. As you're changing lanes, and I mean changing lanes, not on the same road, but you're going off exit into a different direction, God has not left you. In fact, he's in front of you. Don't let this situation stop you. Don't let this detour stop you from what you could do. Hang on. Stay on that detour until, tell, until God tells you what to do. And when you do, rest in knowing that today is the day of salvation. This is what he's giving you today. Don't think about tomorrow. Don't think about your finances. Don't think about your retirement you know, funds. Don't think about what could be. Don't think about reentry. Don't think about what it's going to be like. When are we finally going to get together in a building? Maybe we're not going to get back into a building for a while. What does that mean? That's a detour. God's called us to be the church. He didn't say the church was a building. He said to be the church. And what an opportunity we have to be the church. Let's seize the moment. It's important for us to move forward. But today, maybe you want to give up. I want to encourage you. Write some comments in our Facebook. I want to encourage you to write it down saying, you know, I wanted to give up, Pastor Bruno, but you know what? I'm not. Because we need to hear those comments. Because I need to be encouraged. Pastor Dennis needs to be encouraged. All of us here need to be encouraged. We need to know where you're at. Please respond. And as I pray for you even now, I'm going to encourage you. Just let me pray for you for just a minute as I do. I'm just going to do a short prayer, and then I'm just going to make a couple of comments before we head out. But don't, just seize the moment. Take this opportunity as God's changing the lanes on us. Let me pray for you. Father, whatever it may be, help us to keep our focus on you. Changing lanes means we're going to change direction, but never change our focus. Being prepared before you, prioritizing, keeping our posture where we're humbled and low, 
And Lord, I pray that through it, help us to see that you're the pilot, you're our protector. Ultimately, Lord, you're moving us forward through your will. So help us today. I pray for those who are struggling, fearful, worried, anxious, helpless, and hopeless, wondering if they're gonna, their finances are going to be taken care of, wondering if they're going to be able to pay their bills, wondering if their retirement funds are going to be gone. God, help us to rest in you in this time. And I thank you in advance to what you're going to do. Continue to move in our midst here at Grace Church. Thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to encourage you, write us a comment. Thank you for your continued generosity at our church. Thank you for investing. Thank you for inviting God into your life. We're moving forward. We're believing God. Continue to move forward as you walk with the Lord this week. As Pastor Dennis said, we're going to be doing First John this week. Meet with me Wednesday at Facebook Live at 11 o'clock only this week. We have a special thing coming out to you on your emails. Grace Church, we're going to send something out to you. It's a real encouragement. I want to invite you to have a good devotional with us twice this week. It's called Song and a Prayer. You're going to be blessed by it. I want to encourage you to remain with us. We love you guys. We miss you. And we're looking forward to seeing you soon. God bless you guys as you move on forward trusting God for his kingdom's sake.